And so tonight what we're going to do, we're going to take a look at what the Bible actually says about this and show really who's in the right on this situation. And so go ahead and go to Genesis chapter 12. But one thing you hear a lot of, one thing that Christians and even Baptists are very passionate about is this support for Israel that we hear. I mean, they are passionate about it. And if you do not support Israel, I mean, you are against God. You are against the Bible. You know, you're against His His chosen people. And two years ago, I preached a message, God's chosen people. And I, I mean, I think I proved as good as you possibly can from the Scriptures that we are God's chosen people. And then last year, we talked about the nation of Israel, exactly what the nation of Israel is, and showing how it went from a physical nation to a spiritual nation. We are the nation of Israel today. But to, uh, tonight, I want to talk about the land of Israel. Because do people do. They talk about the land of Israel and how it belongs to the Jews. Just because of the fact of where they descend from. Because of their race, they say that land belongs to them. And most people, they're completely ignorant of the history you know, in the last 2,000 years with that land. And even in the last 50 or 60 years of that land. But they're also ignorant of what the Bible teaches. And you're gonna, what people do, whenever they're talking about this, they always go to Genesis. Okay, And we're going to do that tonight. There's a lot of other passages that talk about the land belonging to the Jews throughout the Old Testament. But the main ones everybody talks about are the ones in Genesis. And so those are the ones that we're going to take the time to spend most of our time on tonight. And we're going to compare these passages with the New Testament. And it is so clear what the Bible teaches about the land of Israel and who it belongs to. And so, prepare to be enlightened uh, this evening. So, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, but it says, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Right there we see that promise to Abraham. God's going to make a great nation out of him. In him all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. And I wish I could tell, you know, had to take time to show all the Scriptures that uh, show that you know, that's not talking about Jewish people. Okay? That's talking about Jesus Christ. It was through Him that all the nations of the world were blessed. And we might cover some of that in a little bit. But once again, I want to focus on the land. So you've, you've heard what's going on. Uh, you know, everybody's upset because President Obama and John Kerry, you know, they've sided with the Palestinians by denying Israel the ability to expand their settlements. And everybody's going crazy about this. You know, there's talk, too, that John Kerry is wanting to grant statehood to Palestine. And, you know, it is a complicated situation over there. It really is. But at the same time, you know, people think that if Obama is for or against something, okay, if Obama's against it, it's got to be right. And, you know, usually if you just go against what Obama does, you're going to be right most of the time. And I'm not even saying Obama's right on this. I do believe Obama and John Kerry are in the wrong in what they're trying to do, but not for the reasons most people think. Okay, so, you know, don't anybody think I'm siding with Obama because, you know, that's an automatic red flag right there. And I think one of the reasons, too, Baptists are so confident in their support for Israel is because of how Obama's against Israel. And so, you know, that's a good sign. If the Bible says something is right, you know it's right. And if Obama says something is wrong, you know it's right. And, you know, those two things are almost seem like equally uh, reliable, but, uh, you know, just exaggerating there. But most Christians do, they just automatically side with Israel 
when there's any kind of land dispute. And they do. They always go to these scriptures in Genesis. And so we see that first one uh, there with Genesis. But when we see, though, that the land that it's talking about here, and right there we've got a picture on a map up there just to show you Israel. And Israel, it's a very small land. I mean, that land you see there in Israel, it's smaller than the state of Illinois. It's not a big chunk of land that we're talking about, but there's a lot of fighting that goes on over it. It originally was inhabited by the Canaanites. We see that God told Abraham, you know, go there. It's the land of the Canaanites. And God uh, basically, you know, had Abraham and Israel kick the Canaanites out of their homeland. Well, that's kind of rude. Well, God can do that. Okay? Everything belongs to Him. And if He wanted to give it to Abraham and his seed, He was allowed to do that. But, um, but once again, everybody, they, they take everything from Genesis as proof. And so that uh, right here in Genesis 12, this is where it all starts talking about the land. And then in verse 6, look what it says. It says, And Abram passed through the land of the place of Sychem, under the plain of Moriah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord and appeared unto him. Okay, now, if you want to undertake your, underline your Bibles, unto thy seed. Okay? And I hope I can get this across. There is a extremely deep but great truth that we're going to learn from Romans based on how things are worded sometimes in the Bible. There are sometimes you read things in the, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and the way we're used to things reading, it doesn't necessarily read like that. And when I will take this passage and interpret it the way I'm going to, people say, no, you're completely out of line in doing that. But Paul, he makes a statement in Romans I never really noticed before until I was studying for this that proves that I'm right and how I'm interpreting this passage. And so we'll get to that in a little bit. But underline that unto thy seed. Right, that's talking about Israel. That's talking about the Jews. Okay, uh, Genesis 13, verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, after the lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. Okay? And so the way this is often interpreted by people is, all right, so that's his seed forever. And we're going to see later too that yes, Ishmael and the Muslims, they descend from Abram, but they weren't counted for the seed. Okay? It was specifically Isaac and then Jacob. And then, you know, the twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? And that's true. And they'll say to thy seed forever. Therefore, when God made that promise to Israel and to Isaac and Jacob, it was for Israel and the physical descendants forever. Right? That's the way they'll interpret that. And that's the way it looks on the surface. But when you use the New Testament, which we are blessed to have, okay, we'll show you exactly what that means because it's very clear. But verse 16 says, And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth. So that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise and walk through the land in the length and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. And then they'll say, you know, go try to count the Jews. You know, go count them. You know, they're all over the world. You know, there's millions of them. Count them throughout history. You know, you can't count them. They're all over the place. I'm going to show you very clearly that's not what it's talking about. That is not what it's talking about. And then go to, now go to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15, we see another passage here where God promises the land to Abram, Abraham now and his seed. This is where God uh, changes his name to Abraham. 
says in verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in mine house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Now, that's another good passage to mark there. When he said, Look at the stars and see if you can count them, your seed's going to be like that. Was he talking about his physical descendants? Or was he talking about something else? And I'm going to show you crystal clear He's not talking about physical descendants, even though Abraham's got a lot of physical descendants. That's not what God was talking about. Verse 7, And he brought, and he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down from the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy father in peace, Fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay, so right there God tells him. Here's the land. It's from the great river, referring to the one in Egypt, Nile River, to the great river Euphrates. And I'm going to show you in a little bit exactly what territory that covers. So God specifically, you know, not only does we see in the Bible that God gave Abraham a land, but he also tells us, you know, the, basically the borders of that land that God gave to Abraham and to his seed. Okay? And I'm not, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time showing you how that's not referring to those that came from Ishmael, you know, or, you know, we, I, we do see in the Old Testament he was talking about who came from Isaac and then Jacob, of course. All right, and so we see here in this this promise of that land, we see a promise to his seed. God is going to bless all the nations through him. And then go over to Galatians chapter three. Okay, Galatians chapter three, and I hope I hope I don't lose you and you don't get bored with all the scripture. But sadly, most people will read. Just a few of those verses there in Genesis, and that's the end of their message right there. That proves it. It belongs to them. Case closed. But I'm going to show you that, no, there is so much more to this than meets the eye. So verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ have been evidently set forth crucified among you? This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? When you get saved, did you get saved because you kept the law or was it because you had faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, 
Are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministereth to you in the Spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth that he by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, when did that happen? We read it back there in Genesis. It was when God told him he was going to multiply his seed like the stars of the heaven, and he believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. So verse 7, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. That seed that he talked about, that uh, that multitude he was going to be a father of was those who believed. Because when we got saved, we got saved by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe God like Abraham did, and therefore Abraham is referred to as our father. And you know what? Go try and count the number of people who've been saved. Count the number of people who believe. They're like the stars of heaven. You can't count them. There's just, there's just too many of them. That's who God was referring to there in Genesis. Verse 8, And the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Everybody wants to talk about that blessing of Israel. Don't you dare say anything against Israel. There will be a curse on you. I mean, there's been all kinds of people out there on the Internet prophesying doom and gloom on America because we went against Israel with this land thing. And let me tell you, if doom and gloom comes to America, it's not because of that. It's because of our own wickedness that we've done, not because we're not supporting Israel. That has nothing to do with it. And all these people prophesying these things don't know what they're talking about. And, you know, watch. One bad thing will happen somewhere, and they'll, they'll try to blame it on that. We live in a big country with millions and millions of people. There's always bad stuff happening. There's always going to be terrible weather. You know, we'll probably have a big blizzard somewhere. That's why, because we turned our back on Israel, we have blizzards every year. Okay? Somewhere in the country, there's going to be a massive blizzard that's just going to you know, be terrible. All right? it, it happens every year, whether we help Israel or don't help Israel. But verse 10 says, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Curses everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of, of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but uh, the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Curses everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. What is that promise of Abraham? It, that promise of blessing him. Blessing him that bless thee, and cursing him that curseth thee. And the land blessing is included in there. But I'm going to show you here in a little bit too. I'm going to prove to you that it, it's not talking about a physical land. Okay? it's not. That's not what it's talking about. Verse 15, Brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant. Yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. Okay, now what I'm saying here, people would say, like they were saying to Paul, you're adding to what the Scripture says there in Genesis. Well, no, I'm not, because Paul didn't either. Okay? I can't add to it. I can't take away. When they made a covenant, nobody's going to come along and take away or add to it. Now, and then he, So he's going and he's getting specific right here, showing them this covenant hasn't changed. It's the same thing. Verse 16, it says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So when you read those verses that say, And thy seed, 
it's talking about Jesus Christ. Okay, but wait a minute. If you go and you look at all the places where it says an eye seed, it would clearly lead Abraham to believe that it was referring to his descendants. Okay? And yes, it does appear that way, but right here we see Paul said, no, that's not what it means. He didn't say seeds as of many. He was referring to one seed, Jesus Christ. Well, that still doesn't make sense to me. Well, wait till we get to that verse in Romans. It'll make sense to, it'll make sense to you when we get there. Okay, so verse 17, And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. Wherefore then serveth the law? Okay? Because we see, and I'm going to, we're going to talk about this a little more in a little bit, God, when He made that covenant with Abraham, He first gave the, uh, the token of circumcision that they were supposed to keep. We're going to read a passage on that. But later things were added, like the law that He gave to Moses. Why did the law get added? Right here it tells us it was added because of transgressions. It's the same reason we make new laws in our country all the time. Because of transgressions. People do bad things, we have to make new laws. In your homes, you do that all the time. Your kids do something stupid, and what do you do? You make a new law in your house. You make a new rule to keep that from happening again. And because they were always being wicked, God had to keep you know, adding things like the law because of transgressions. And we're going to see something that was added later that you know impacted us greatly. All right, So keep that in mind. So it was added because of transgression. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. Okay, There was no rule that God could have made that if you keep this, you'll be saved. There, there was no rule or a set of rules it could have been done. Faith is the only thing that's going to get you saved. All right, That's very clear, and that's what got Abraham saved. Verse 22, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. God, He revealed things to Him progressively. He gave things to them kind of in a mystery. And eventually they were able to learn these things and understand these things and eventually were able to get saved. But at, but at the same time, what we know about the promises of God back then, we understand them at a deep, deeper level than Abraham did. Okay? And people who just try to pick, you know, use what Abraham knew to prove a point, you know, they're selling themselves short. They're keeping a lot of important information out that they shouldn't. So verse 25, uh, But after faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, I don't know what people do with that verse right there. It doesn't get any clearer than that. You know, my wife's always asked me, you know, what if you're wrong about this and all these curses come upon you that everybody's always pronouncing on people that are against the Jews? I'm not worried about it. I believe the Bible. Oh, what if something bad happens, you know, unexpected? Everybody's going to think, because I don't care. I've got enough faith, 
to believe the Bible, I don't care what happens to me. If I, I see what the Bible says, and that's really clear. And so, you know what? I'm not scared. I'm not, if anything does happen, it would be the devil all right, to get all these goofballs out there that can't just believe the Bible. They've got to have signs. And they've got to you know, see things. You know, that, that's ridiculous. And, it, I mean, you, you just can't get away from that. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed, and you are heirs according to the promise. Well, what promise? The promise of blessing them to bless you, cursing them to curse in you. The, you know, the, the land that God promised them. The promises that God gave to Abraham belong to Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed. We are joint heirs with Christ. Everything God promised Abraham was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He got it. We're joint heirs with Him. It's mine. Okay? So are you saying the land of Israel out there today belongs to you? No. But, I am, but I'm saying what God promised to Abraham and his seed belongs to me. Wasn't that the land of Israel? Not exactly. And I, I will prove that to you here in just a little bit. But notice, let's go back to this father of many nations thing. Because when God called Abraham a father of many nations, was he talking about physical nations or was he speaking spiritually? Go to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 16 and this is the key, you, if, you, if you can get this. All right, this is going to help you understand what was being said there in Genesis. But Romans 4.16, Therefore, it is a faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, okay? not to those who are the seed physically speaking, not only them, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Okay, now that's pretty clear right there too that this promise is not just to the seed by the law, but to us who are uh, of faith, like Abraham, who is the father of us all. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Okay? So if Abraham is our father and he's talking to Gentiles here, and they, are not, they don't descend from him, and he's telling them, you all are a part of the fulfillment of Abraham being the father of many nations. Was that talking by the law or physically, or was it talking spiritually? He's saying, as it is written, talking about in Genesis. He's, you're the, he would be the father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God. That's the reason we are called the children of Abraham, because we believe like Abraham believed. Therefore, he is referred to as our father, not physically, but spiritually. And see, it's right there. Even God who quickeneth the dead. And look at this. This is the key phrase here. And calleth those things which be not as though they were. Okay, what does that mean? Well, how do we explain when God's referring to Abraham and his seed and that he's going to be the father of many nations, you know, all that stuff, you know, it, it couldn't have been talking about us. We're you know, too far in the future. You know, it, he was talking about then, that physical land right there. No, God, He calls those things which are not as though they were. Okay? Were we around back then? Absolutely not. But God, who is eternal, He speaks of those things that are not as though they were. Okay? So even though the church or Christians weren't around back then during Abraham's time, God talked about us like we were. And when God talked about Abraham's seed, 
He was talking about us. Even though we weren't. Even though we hadn't come around yet. And, and so God, He didn't go against any of His promises when things happened the way they did. He did exactly what He said He was going to do way back there in Genesis. Verse 18, "...who against hope believed in hope that He might become the Father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be." Okay? We all think He was talking physically. But it wasn't talking. He wasn't talking physically. He was talking spiritually. Because as far as we know, we don't know if we descend from Abraham or not. And the truth is, it doesn't matter. If you believe Christ, you're Abraham's seed. That's what the Bible teaches. That's and that is very clear. And in Romans chapter four, he's saying that's what God was talking about back there in Genesis. Nothing changed. Okay, our understanding has changed. We understand it clearer now than they did back then. They missed that, but God revealed that later. Look at what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. It says, And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations. Well, what's that talking about? It sounds to me, this is right after the rapture, in the future, and God refers to a multitude of people around the throne from all nations. A group that no man could number. Who's that talking about? Sounds like Abraham's seed. That multitude, you know, go number the stars. You can't do it. Though that's how your seed is going to be. And right here we see that seed in heaven. Sure enough, just like God said, of all nations, why is Abraham the father of many nations? Oh, that was talking about Israel and you know all those Muslim countries around there. You know, because a lot of different nations came from him. And yes, a lot of nations physically did come from Abraham. But God wasn't talking about those nations when He said that. God was referring to us who were from all kinds of different nations. And He, Abraham is our father spiritually. And so right there, I, I believe that... I think it's interesting how it uses that, uh, the, that wording there, a multitude which no man could number of all nations. Just like God promised way back in Genesis, God knew that there was going to be a multitude of people that no man could number of all nations. And God called Abraham the father of that. And we see where his seed, the promises are ours, the blessings are ours, that God promised to Abraham they are ours, not because of the law or because of what we were born into, not because of where we came from physically, but because we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe God just like Abraham did, and therefore we are of faith like Abraham. So we see that the promises of God made in the Old Testament they, weren't, they were not fully understood by those that God gave them to. They were mysteries to be revealed later. And it's foolish and it's dishonest to try to interpret those Scriptures alone, especially when it contradicts what's in the New Testament. And that's what everybody does with this Israel stuff. They go back to what God said in Genesis and they refuse to compare it with what the Bible says in the New Testament. We have the New Testament too. You know, we got to use all of the Bible. It all goes together. Look what it says in Ephesians chapter 3. In verse 1 it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given to me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, 
that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of His promise in Christ by the Gospel. Okay? Now, I wanted to use that verse on purpose too because people think I don't understand dispensationalism. And, yeah, and well, I understand dispensationalism. I understand the false teachings of dispensationalism. You know, people, but this, most dispensationalists teach basically that God was like constantly changing His plan. Like, here, let's try this. Oh, it didn't work. So now let's try, you know, let's try the law and have them sacrifice the lamb. Oh, that didn't work. So now I'm going to send Jesus Christ. No, God always knew how it was going to play out. God always had one plan, and the plan was never to just save the Jews. The plan was always to save the whole world. That was clear. I mean, right here, Paul flat out tells us that, but it was not revealed to them way back then. They didn't understand that. God revealed things progressively, but God never changed His plan. God never had to change His promise. The promise of to Abraham's seed, it was always to a spiritual seed. Those who are of faith. That's what it always was. And we see that very clearly. And we see us Gentiles, those who believe, not just, everybody, not just because you're a Gentile, that we are fellow heirs and of the same body. Okay? And I get aggravated too when people start referring to, you know, well, you know, Jesus, He came to earth to get His Gentile bride. No, okay. And then we'll talk about Jesus. You know, God is, or the church is the bride of Jesus, and the Jews are the bride of God. No, one body. All right, we are all one. We are fellow heirs and of the same body. Okay, and Jesus Christ and God, they're one. They're not marrying two different groups. Okay, same group, and we are a part of that with the with the Jews, the Old Testament ones that got saved like Abraham, those that believe. Alright, so very clear what that promise was. It was to uh, it was to Abraham's seed spiritually. And we forget too, you know, because people are like, no, God's not going to go against His covenant with Abraham. And of course, God didn't go against His covenant with Abraham. And it is true, you do see changes in things that happen there. We have an Old Testament or an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. Okay? Why did we have to have a New Covenant? Because a covenant. People forget this. Alright? No, look at what God said in that covenant to Abraham. It has to mean to a physical seed. Okay, but even if it did, do you understand that a covenant, there's two parties involved. Okay? Now, if a covenant gets broken between God and anyone else, who do you think is the one that's going to break it? Okay? It's not going to be God. It's going to be the other party involved. A covenant is a mutual consent or agreement of two or more persons. Okay? There's two people involved. So I'm gonna, I need to be very careful how I speak here because you know, I'm speaking of things that in a way where, you know, like God did, where he called those things which be not as though they were. Okay? So some of the things I say, it might sound wrong because I'm speaking of those things which were not as though they were. Okay? Which is exactly what God did, and the Bible explains that. So the inheritance, you could say, all right, the land, you could say, it changed as the covenant was broken. Because we see that when God would make this promise to Abraham, he's talking about a physical land, but I'm going to show you that the, the inheritance that we're going to get is not a physical land. But yes, he's talking about a physical land there in the Old Testament. So that means the physical land is theirs. It's got to be theirs. God's not going to break his covenant. Well, God didn't break his covenant. They broke their covenant. And so we see 
the inheritance, the, the physical inheritance, it did change, and I'll prove it to I'll prove that to you. Alright? See, you know, God always knew what was going to happen, but because of God's foreknowledge, he was able to keep his promise of an inheritance of those who believe. God always knew how it was going to play out. He always did. But yes, we do see physical land talked about. And notice in verse 18, the land that God promised to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 18, he mentions that... Uh, I'm going to have to turn back there if I'm going to read this right. He, uh, he tells them the borders of it. And this is where you know, said people really show their you know, hypocrisy and uh, they really contradict themselves really bad. He said, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Okay? I want to show you a picture of that land area there. Now, remember, look at, look at Israel, how small it is in that map. You can hardly see it. It's very small in there. It's right there next to Jordan, you know, uh, left of Iraq there. But look at that land that God promised to Abraham. That's a huge chunk of land. Now, anytime there's a dispute, most of the time when there is a dispute over land, we'll see it's usually... Uh, well, that's probably not the best map I want to use. But we see that in the picture in the far right, that little green section there, that's known as the Gaza Strip. And then that other green area up there is part of the West Bank. Okay, It's a very small area that they're usually fighting over. And whenever there's any kind of dispute, everybody's like, nope, God promised that to Abraham. God promised that land to Abraham. They need to give it to the Jews because God promised it to His seed. Well, listen, if we're going to talk that way then, then you know what? We need to tell the world and the United Nations and the President needs to tell Saudi Arabia they need to give a big chunk of land to Israel. They need to tell Jordan that they need to give all of their land to Israel. They need to tell Syria they need to give most of their land to Israel. Iraq, about half their land to Israel. And Egypt, a bunch of their land to Israel. Because what land did God promise him physically speaking? It's all that right there. And everybody's making a huge deal about this tiny little section and nobody talks about that because what do you think is going to happen if they try taking all that land? Well, they better use them nukes that they've got. Okay, it's gonna get it's gonna get ugly real fast. But the thing, but you know, everybody's being hypocritical when they just want to talk about that tiny little area and ignore that bigger area. That's what God promised them. But you know what? Never in their history did they ever have that land. They never had much more than what we saw on the first map. There was times where they had some other parts of it. And they had they had a little more. But they never, they never even had anywhere near that amount of land. Now, why is that? Why didn't God, if God promised that land to Abraham, why has there never been a time in history where they've had that land? Well, go to Genesis chapter 17. Okay, this is another thing people forget about. They like to read, you know, Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, but everybody forgets about Genesis chapter 17. And it says in verse one, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram. And said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And I will make a covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked to them, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee 
in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. Y'all see that? Not only was Abraham supposed to keep the covenant, but the next generations were supposed to keep the covenant in their generations. Now, what do we read about throughout the Old Testament? Israel never kept the covenant, did they? They were constantly going against what God said, and so what? They never had a chance to inherit all that land. You know, even the little that they did get, they had to drive the Canaanites and things out of there, and it was tough battles. And it was, it was a long battle because they never believed God. They never did right. They'd have short times they'd do good, but most of their history was bad. And they, so they never got it all. God never gave it all to them because of the fact that they never kept His covenant. And notice what He said, too. You know, He said, you've got to do it in your generations. And He said it's an everlasting possession. Okay? But wait a minute. We know that Israel constantly lost the land. They lost it when the Babylonians, you know, the Babylonians took them over, you know, and they got moved all over the world. They ended up getting it back later, but then in 70 A.D. they were destroyed and didn't have the land for about 1,900 years almost. So did God not keep His promise then? It wasn't everlasting. Well, the physical wasn't an everlasting because they broke that covenant. But we see the real inheritance is everlasting. And why would God promise a physical land that's a part of this earth that's going to be destroyed as an everlasting possession? Well, because that everlasting possession was not a part of this earth. It was a spiritual thing. It was the heavenly Jerusalem that we're going to see in a little bit. So these people that are using these scriptures like that, you know, it's an everlasting. It's theirs forever. Well, Israel, the physical individual, is not an everlasting place. It's going to burn with the rest of this world. And so, you know, he uh, you know, he gave him that token of the circumcision there. And he said, you've all got to do this in your generations. Verse 14, he said, And the uncircumcised man-child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Y'all see that? You can break the covenant with God, but God's not going to break His covenant with you. Okay? And so, uh, look at Deuteronomy chapter 29. Okay? Covenants are conditional. Now, thank God, we're not going to talk. We're not talking about this tonight. In the New Covenant, in the New Testament, we see that it turns out our salvation has nothing to do with what we do. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did. Therefore, we can't lose our salvation. All right, but if it were up to our works, we lose our salvation. Okay, and everybody in the world, they won't admit this, who believes you can lose your salvation. They believe works are involved in salvation. And guess what? You can't get saved if it's by works. And so people who believe that, they're just not saved. All right? that, that's, that's their problem right there. But that's another lesson for another day. But look at uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 18. Oh, man. I'm running out of time. There's, there's so much Scripture I want to cover. But, uh, yeah, lest there should be among you any man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood, 
And it shall come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart to add drunkenness to this. The Lord will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. He's, he's talking about all these things that are going to come. He put blessings and curses in there. So I said before you to say a blessing and a curse. Okay? Man, I wish we had time to go through all these scriptures. There's some really good stuff in here, but I'm already going long. But listen, they took the curse, didn't they? They, except the curse, they didn't do the things that God said to do. They did not, they did not do it. They did not keep it. And in Galatians 3.17, you know, we looked at that, we looked at that passage and said, In this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul this should make the promise of none effect. For if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more a promise, but God gave it by Abraham, gave it to Abraham uh, by promise. Wherefore then served the law, it was added because of transgressions. Things were added, things changed, because Israel didn't keep the covenant. Everything God told them not to do, they did it. God told them not to serve other gods, they did it. God told them to keep those things away. They didn't do it. They brought those things in. God told them to drive the Canaanites out of the land. They didn't always do it. They keep them there. Later on, they had battles. Everything you read about in the Old Testament is pretty much the consequences of Israel not keeping God's covenant. And so what, what, what did God do as a result of them not keeping His covenant? You know what He did? He sent Jesus Christ to pay for their sins. And not just their sins, but the sins of the whole world. But they did. They blew it. They lost it. They, they, they broke the covenant. And you know, Paul taught that the promises God made to Israel include us, and these are promises that talk about the land of Israel. Romans 10.5 For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them, but the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart who shall ascend to heaven, that is to bring Christ out from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That term that he used right there, it's nigh thee. Uh, you know, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. And I, I said, I wish we had time to go through it. He is referring to a passage. He's using the same language that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Um, what verse was that? Yeah, in verse 14 he says, But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. We see here in that passage where God laid out a blessing and a curse from them. And they took the curse. Paul, when talking about the promises, he refers, he uses the same language that was used there in Deuteronomy talking about those things. Just kind of showing these things, these promises, they do belong to us. They are ours. We own them. We need, you know, we need to claim them. We need to stop trying to be a blessing to a bunch of unbelieving Jews and start being a blessing to God's people. Okay? I, what, what do you think we ought to do with the Jews? I think we need to give them the gospel like everybody else. I think we need to start treating them like lost people instead of like royalty Teach them their loss that they need to, you know, turn to Jesus Christ, and that's that's the only thing we can do for anybody. 
But Romans 4.13 says, For the promise that he should be heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law. Okay? But the righteousness of faith. Okay? Not talking about just obeying the law, but who is your seed physically by the law? Well, one who came from you. One who physically descends from you. But that's who your seed is by the law. But that's not what God was talking about. Verse 14, For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, for where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which be not as though they were. You see how that all goes together. You see how that's talking about us. The land was promised to Abraham and his seed who kept the covenant. But wait a minute. Nobody ever kept the covenant. Well, but many did keep the new covenant in the sense they believed God, didn't they? Abraham, he didn't get saved because he was such a great Christian or because he was such a great follower of God. Abraham made some pretty big mistakes. But Abraham was saved because he believed God. He believed God before the circumcision. Paul talked about that. Hey, Abraham, he got saved before he got circumcised. He referred to when, the time Abraham got saved when God told him, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars. And he believed God. He was accounted him for righteousness then. Years and years before, he was circumcised, proving that you know salvation, it's not by those things. You know, So, you know that land, can we claim that land today? Since the promises of Abraham go to us. You know, is it ours? But the land, it belongs to Abraham's seed who kept the covenant. So let me ask you, which covenant have you kept? Have you kept the covenant of the law? Have you kept the law fully? Have you obeyed every single part of the law? Have you kept all the feasts, the ceremonies, the Sabbaths? Have you done all those things? Or have you kept that old covenant that's earthly and involves an earthly inheritance? And there's passages we can look to talk about that. Did you keep that one? that involves an earthly inheritance, or have you kept the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ that involves a heavenly inheritance? Which one did you keep? Because the inheritance only goes to those who kept the covenant, and nobody ever kept the physical covenant except for Jesus Christ. But we can keep the spiritual covenant by believing the Lord Jesus Christ. No one ever did. So therefore, it it belongs to Jesus. We're joint heirs with Christ. And as it turns out, the land that God wanted to give them, it was always a heavenly country. That was always the plan. The physical land of Israel could not have been an everlasting possession because physical Israel is not everlasting. It's temporary. No, it's forever. What about Romans 20, or Revelation 21? I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Well, God's going to transplant that part of earth and He's going to save it. No, it's going away, folks. That land is all going to go away one of these days. It's temporary. Hebrews 11.13 These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them, and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they, say, they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, and truly if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had an opportunity to have returned, but now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. 
and then Romans or Hebrews twelve twenty two. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and into an innumerable company of angels. And you know, I think it's pretty sad the way Christians work so hard to help Israel get that temporary inheritance that's there that they say there's well there could be offering them the eternal inheritance, the heavenly Jerusalem. You know what? They can have that land over there. I'll take the heavenly Jerusalem. I'll take the heavenly country. So what is you know what is Jerusalem today? How should we look at Jerusalem today? Should we call it the holy city? Well, how about we get real biblical? Y'all realize, you know, most of the Bible was written before 70 A.D. There's only one book of the Bible that we know of that was written after 70 A.D., and that was the book of Revelation. In 70 A.D., Israel was Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Just like Jesus prophesied, they wiped them out. They ceased to be a nation. Well, When Emperor Titus went through, and he, he destroyed them. Some interesting history to read about. And in the one reference to Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, verse 8, it says, "...and their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt." Where also our Lord was crucified. Well, where was our Lord crucified? Jerusalem. And the Bible called Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. Why did, now, why did He call it Sodom and Egypt? Why, why those two? Well, I believe, one, those were both two places that God destroyed, that God judged greatly. Okay, we read about Egypt's judgment You know, when God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Sodom and Gomorrah. We read. We all know the story there. How God rained fire and brimstone. There's still no city there to this day. It's still a, a nasty place to this day. And before their destruction, Sodom and Egypt. Notice He calls them spiritually, Sodom and Egypt. Physically, they're not like. It's not like that. There's a lot of people living in Israel today. But spiritually, though, it is as dead as Sodom and Egypt. And notice Sodom and Egypt were beautiful, well-watered places where people could live and would often go to avoid famines. In Genesis chapter 12, Abraham, he left his land and went to Egypt. You know why? Because there was a famine. Egypt was fine in the famine. Why? Because Egypt used to be a great, wonderful, prosperous, you know, budding place. And then in Genesis chapter 13, verse 10, with Abraham and Lot, when they were deciding which way to go, Abraham chose Sodom because it was well watered. It was a great place for cattle. But it's not like that anymore. It's a, you know these are these are desolate places now and you know what spiritually Jerusalem is a desolate place spiritually it is it is dead people used Jerusalem used to be the place where people would go for spiritual things but you know what the people were wicked and God destroyed that city God allowed God allowed that city to be destroyed when we see in Ephesians chapter two the Bible says that the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off were made nigh by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and broken down the middle wall of partition between us. He broke down that wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. But you know what the Zionists are wanting to do today? They want to build that wall back up. Like the, you know, let's go rebuild the temple. Let's rebuild Jerusalem. No, God broke that down. God allowed that temple to be destroyed. And you know what? The temple today, our body is the temple of God. I'm to, and I'm to, people, people have asked me before, you know, if you ever found the Ark of the Covenant, you know, would you be afraid to touch it? No. I would not be afraid to touch it. Oh, no. You know, 
Didn't you see how I melted those people's face in Indiana Jones? I mean, you remember what happened to Uzzah? Hey, that is part of the old covenant. That's, that's done for. That's over. I would, I would touch it. And I wouldn't be scared. I would look inside of it and see if the Ten Commandments are still in there. I'd do it. I wouldn't be afraid at all. I would put my hand on those things and put my finger in the place where God had His finger. I would absolutely do that. And I wouldn't be scared one bit. I might pass out and die of a heart attack just because I was so excited by it. <laughs> but I wouldn't be because God was smiting me down. But we see, though, Jesus prophesied that Jerusalem was going to be destroyed in Matthew chapter 24. You know, they're looking at the temple. Jesus said, there's not going to be one stone left upon another. We see that uh, within 40 years when He said that, it happened. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD as punishment for all the prophets that they had killed. Jesus told them specifically, ye serpents, ye generations of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Wherefore, behold, I send to you prophets and wise men and scribes, and some of them ye shall kill and crucify, and some of them shall ye scourge in your synagogues and persecute them from city to city, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zacharias, the son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. And sure enough, it did. They were destroyed. They were done for. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, now that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not... Behold, your house, not my house, your house is left unto you desolate. And it was. It was destroyed. So you know what? Who should we be siding with today? Well, the truth is it's none of our business. We live in America. They live way over on the other side of the world. None of our business. And the United Nations needs to go jump in the ocean and never never come back. You know, Pence is talking about, you know, should we defund the United Nations? Yes. But not just because they're mean to Israel. Because they're wicked. Because they're evil. Because they should have no place in this world and in our country. I hate the United Nations. I've said that before. I just want to throw that in there. But listen, what's going on over there, it's two false religions serving the same false god. And I don't have time to prove that to you biblically. But the Israeli and Palestinian conflict, it'll probably be what starts World War III and bring about the rise of the Antichrist. But the truth is, I believe... Israel should be able to expand their settlements. Why? Because they conquered the West Bank. I think it was back in 1967. It's theirs. In war, to the victors go to spoils. If we don't believe that, then we need to give this land back to the Indians. And so it belongs to them for that reason and that reason only. You know, and if you only read the Old Testament, I can see where you would get that, but we have a New Testament. And you can't make... You, know, you can't... Just use that Old Testament. God promised if they didn't keep His covenant, they would be driven out of the land. And Judaism today, it doesn't even in any way, shape, or form resemble Judaism in the Old Testament. So if they want to get in on the inheritance that God gave to Abraham, they've got to accept Jesus Christ. And if they do that, God will save them. He's not cast them away. that He won't save them. God forbid. God saved Paul if he was a Jew. That's what Paul said. I, I'm an Israelite. God will save them too. And they're nothing special. They're not God's people until they receive Christ. And that physical land stuff, Christians need to stop getting all crazy about this stuff. People are so anxious to get caught up in political things and stuff. And politicians always lead us wrong. 
and don't don't trust them, don't listen to them. Honestly, we just we need to stay out of it and mind our own business and just focus on getting people the gospel. I do not stand with physical Israel. I stand with the Israel of God, with God's people, with believers. Those are the people I stand with. And these people who blaspheme God and say that there's another Messiah, another Christ, that are, the Bible says they're going to accept the Antichrist, I'm not with them. Count me out. I'm not going to support them rebuilding the temple. The Antichrist is just going to go in there and he's going to desecrate it and try to put the mark of the beast on everybody. I'm out. Not supporting that one bit. You can forget it. They're going to have to do it without my support. And they'll do it eventually. We know it's all going to go bad, but because the prophecy says that, but do we have to help it? Uh-uh, not me. And I hope you, I hope you won't do that either. So with that, let's go ahead and stand together.